Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint with me, Jay Harvey. Thanks for having me back one more time, Jim. Jay, I love being here. What do you mean, one more time? Well, I, you're doomed. I said you, I to come you are back. stuck in this groove yeah. with us for a <laughs> lifetime and uh, so proud to have you. I love it. And you know what? You and I had a conversation last time we yes. met with a guest who's back with us today. His name is Ben Sand. He lives out in Portland. Come on, just give yes. me your first take on that conversation. You had not met Ben before. What would you say? What a story. What uh, an inspiration to sit here and listen to uh, something that's common when you have an intersection with Christ and the possibilities if you decide to follow him, but then to hear somebody tell how that worked in their life and how it's affecting others' life and what it's led to. It just, it's so refreshing. It's just full of hope. Yes, I want to hear more. Well, I'm so excited to have Ben back with us. Yes. And uh, I'm, I'm right with you, Jay. It's a it's a terrific story, but not just about where Ben's been, but right. where he's going. Right, exactly. Ben Sand, welcome. Thanks for coming back. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, is the sun shining in Portland, Oregon today, your hometown? It is. It's majestic. All of the color is out. It's vibrant. Of course, that's what he says every day, because I know it's like that every day. I'm a fan. Sure. But Ben Sand didn't grow up in Portland. He grew up in Spokane. He was telling us last week a little bit about his story. His dad died when he was six. He was the second oldest of six children, found himself in very struggling, difficult times. Uh, As he said, I think, Ben, you told us your back was up against the wall and scrapping and uh, surviving and trying to cope with a very dysfunctional home and uh, poverty. I mean, you were on the street. Ben, you told me once, I think, that even as a teenager, you were making money, you were trying to eke out your own existence uh, almost in an independent way, even though you were a minor child. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, so much of my childhood experience was rooted in that mentality or reality that if I needed a new pair of shoes, it was on me. If I needed a new pair of jeans, it was on me, you know, from a very young age. And so, you know, that, while difficult, is certainly part of the character that God has built in me to this day. Well, not easy, but I'm reflecting on that because uh, you became a kind of entrepreneur. I mean, you had to be in personal terms. You you had to be able to look at a situation, find opportunity where nobody else could see one, and find a way to get through it and to survive, which led you to your young adult life, meeting up with Jesus. And I'm condensing your story because there's so much more to talk about, but that was last week's uh, narrative. And as you began to discover that your life had been framed by these challenges. My guess is you were going to college to play football. You had this together. I mean, you were all that. Meeting up with Jesus showed you there was more than you're all that. Not only that, meeting up with Jesus showed me that all of what I thought was important really wasn't. And what I found uh, the context of a relationship with Jesus was a whole wild adventure out west where all there was was opportunity around every corner to experience deep, meaningful life. Ben, last week, you kind of set the groundwork with uh, Luke chapter 10, the story of the Good Samaritan, and how that's played a role in much of who you are and much of what you do. It was the catalyst in, in helping you build some nonprofits, some organizations to help others. But I'm, I'm curious, what else in that 
parable? How else has that informed your life, uh, your life personally, as you follow Christ? It's a beautiful story where Jesus is helping us understand that when someone is beaten, when someone is robbed or left for dead, that the act of caring for them is only one part of a system of challenges that need to be considered. And ultimately, for me, what strikes me about the parable of the Good Samaritan is that we must ask the question, why is the road so dangerous in the first place? Mm. It's in asking that question where a whole series of other cascading questions emerge. Wouldn't it be fair to say, Ben, that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, not only did the Samaritan, who we have branded as good, I mean, that, we've kind of created right. that shorthand for the story. Right. He didn't just provide a Band-Aid or a temporary fix. He actually created a system of caring for that vulnerable guy on the road. He made sure he was cared for. It was not just a drive-by, hey, here's a bottle of water. I mean, the whole story is predicated on actually changing the outcome and trajectory of that person's life. And I hear that in you, that an act of mercy can sometimes be seen as a small gesture in a moment, and we don't want to depreciate that. That always has value. But you're being driven by a sense of the Lord's teaching there that is deeper, that has to do with systems and large outcomes. And how do we make it safer to travel on the road to Jericho than it was before, so that we don't have to have another act of mercy on the drive-by? Yeah. Not only, not only is that true, Jim, but I would also say that part of what's so beautiful about that is the empowered one is also the one who had the least power. The Samaritan, by definition, first century Palestine is someone that had experiences adversity because of their ethnicity. And in the midst of that exchange between the Samaritan and the person on the side of the road, there's redemptive lift for all involved, especially the reader, acknowledging that. It's not those with power that can create change. It's also those that, will, that have experienced adversity that understand it and can enter into it in unique ways. And that's very much informed my philosophy of leadership development and who ought to be leading. Your walk with Jesus, uh, Ben, and uh, as we've been talking about, uh, informed by the scripture, and we've just been talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, but I know that you're, you're really a student of the word. You've got a lot of deep thinking uh, inside of you about all of this revelation of God that has led you to establish what is now called the contingent, which is, uh, you describe as a kind of venture nonprofit. You, you are stewarding. You have a big staff, and uh, you're sitting in your office now in the Portland near the Willamette River. Uh, but this is the home base, or, or the base camp, you might say, for a lot of initiatives in your community and throughout the state of Oregon that actually interdict systems and challenges that uh, that poor guy on the road to Jericho experienced when he was robbed. All right. Tell us about that. I'll give you one good example. We have a myriad of different initiatives on our portfolio. One of them is called Every Child Oregon. In 2013, a friend of mine walked into my office and articulated a challenge that I was unaware of. And, and she started talking about the crisis shortage of foster families in Oregon and the number of kids that did not have a safe, loving, strategic home. And it was a moment for me that I'll never forget because I began to recognize that 
what we were staring down was a system. Uh, the Department of Human Services in our state is the largest government agency that has a $10 billion budget. Almost 10,000 people work for the state agency. And this is an agency that had lost the trust of the community. Families were not stepping forward to care for the most vulnerable kids. And from my perspective, it presented a, a really unique, almost good Samaritan moment, asking the question, what's up with the system? How does the system function? And what would be the role of the faith community if we were to step in? And so we built Every Child Oregon with the design to try to mobilize Oregonians to walk alongside kids and, and the government to acknowledge what we believe is true. And that is there's no such thing as a government child. There's no such thing as a government family. And since then, we've grown Every Child Oregon. And at this day, almost now seven years later, Every Child is responsible for 100% of the recruitment of foster families for the entire state of Oregon. And we are expanding rapidly in multiple directions as we've mobilized almost 20,000 Oregonians to walk alongside kids and families. Give me an idea of the scale. How many foster children would there be in Oregon? Right now, there are 7,358 children that are currently in foster care in Oregon. And how would you describe, how do you define foster care? What does that mean? Foster care is a temporary solution when a child is experiencing abuse and neglect in their home, and they're removed from their parents with the goal of getting back to their parents. Oftentimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But in that interim period, a family's needed to care for that child, and those families are called foster families. And I'm hearing you say, understanding this need, you see these children as like the man on the road to Jericho, left by the curb, completely helpless, without a future and without hope. And uh, the contingent is that good Samaritan that is not just putting a Band-Aid on it, okay, here's, here's something to do in the near term. We're trying to redress the whole system. Am I getting that right? That's exactly right. Yeah, and we're doing that. Businesses and community members, Girl Scout troops, and most importantly, over 300 faith communities across all 36 counties in Oregon who have stepped up and into a relationship directly with the state of Oregon. We've completely dismantled this bifurcated idea that there's a difference between church and state. And we're saying... That DHS, you know, in Oregon, DHS serves one out of every four Oregonians through a myriad of their programs, over a million people. In 2013, when we started this, the church was nowhere to be found. And we think it's a crime that these agents across all 50 states in the union are actually the portal where the most vulnerable people go to ask for help. And it's time that the church shows up. Ben, I love the fact that, you know, you're bold enough to say the church needs to step up and act. And I'm a pastor. I've heard that before. I've said that before. And I think what we need most is the how-to. What is something tangible that, that you're telling the churches in Oregon that they need to do? And then how do you help them do it? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're listening, one thing you can do is just go to our website, everychildoregon.org, and you'll click on a myriad of what we call on-ramps. And you'll see a myriad of ways that you can get involved. But Jay, I'll just tell you that, you know, the, the best way to eat an elephant, if you will, is one bite at a time. And That's it right. all starts, from my perspective, with hospitality. Mm -hmm. Encouraging faith communities to show up at their local government office and ask the question, how can we help? For us, 
It started in 2013 when we learned that there was a low morale at local DHS offices. And so one Friday afternoon, I went home. I got my rusted out barbecue, put it in the back of my 2004 <laughs> Volvo station wagon, drove to the grocery store, picked up sausages, took them to the local DHS office in Southeast Portland, set up an impromptu barbecue and invited the, the employees at DHS at that office to come out and get a free lunch on us. That's a great idea. We were idea. cooking these sausages. This woman walked out and she came and she grabbed the first person to grab one of the sausages. She didn't let go and we had this awkward moment. And I was trying to give her this hot dog and the, or this sausage and she, she looked at me and she just had this beautiful silver hair and 30 years of social service on her face. Mm. And these big tears that were just streaming down her face. She looked at me and she said, I've been working for DHS for the state of Oregon for 30 years. And this is the first time anyone from the community has ever said thank you. If you're listening and you work for a local church or you go to a local church, you have no reason to not set up a barbecue at your local government office and just say thank you. That's where it starts. Well, I think it's a great point because in that, even in the parable, Ben, uh, the teacher says, well, who's my neighbor? And, and that's the mentality that a lot take unknowingly. It's because we don't want to do more than we have to, but that's not what it is about to follow Christ. Ben, as you've described every child organ, I, I mean, my heart is just running ahead. I live in Indiana. Can we have an every child in Indiana? Yeah, right. But it's hard work. And the fuel of that, in addition to your commitment to Christ, has to be some of the stories. I mean, when you could translate this hard work, just as you did with the woman at the DHS office, is there a child or a foster family uh, that inspires you to think, I'm, we're going to keep doing this? Yeah, my, my good friend, who really was in, the one who inspired this work, her name is Jelana, and her husband's name is Luke. They have fostered many kids over the years. And they have four kids of their in their house currently, two of whom are their own biological children, two of whom are not their biological children that they've adopted. One of the things that's really beautiful and also heartbreaking about foster care is that it's often that you will bring a child into your home and love that child with reckless abandon. And then in many cases, those children go home. And in some, some cases, those children go home only to be, re, be removed again. And Jelana, my friend Jelana, she really embodies, in my view, what it means to step up, not just to open your home to a stranger, but to consider what it means to lay down your life for another. She's got a son who she's adopted, who has been in and out of foster care on multiple occasions. And in this case, she's not only just loved that boy, but she's loved that boy's biological mother. And this, to this day, every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, Easter, the family is all together and the family is both the biological mother as well as the adopted son. And there is a generous view, a generous look at what hospitality looks like. It's not okay to look at someone struggling or look at someone unable to care for their child and to say, you are forgotten, you are outcast, you are not worthy of hospitality. And my friend Jelana, models that to me and inspires me every day. I'm telling you, this is partly what's so 
strategic about the faith community, stepping into the foster care space. It's these kinds of upside down relationships, these kinds of upside down commitments that we have an opportunity to live into in the public square. And as you're talking, I'm just thinking about the power of that. I mean, this is, this is Jesus walking into town. Yes. When the people who follow him, when the body of Christ actually embraces this nature of relationship, of hospitality, of hard work, sacrifice, and actually investing in long-term change. Foster care is about investing on the long haul. It's not just a, a moment. Yeah. Thank you, Ben, for your work. Thanks for sharing it with us today. And to our audience listening, maybe you're being inspired, as I have been, and I know Jay has, uh, just listening to this context out in Oregon, but wherever you live, the needs and the challenges and the mountains to climb are the same, and the opportunity is the same. If you are somebody who follows Jesus, think about this today. What can happen in your church? Think about the things your church dreams about doing to speak and to bring life. And then think, what could be more impactful than what every child organ is doing? Bringing children, vulnerable most, into homes and in the proximity to other people who follow Jesus. Think about that. And think about if you don't follow Jesus, if you're just thinking, I'm not sure that Jesus is really a thing. Think about how powerful Jesus is to transform somebody like Ben Sand and put him on the front lines of this work. I mean, that's, that's a God thing. All that said, we want to invite you to follow Jesus today. Whether you know him or don't know him, we want to invite you into his company, and you can do that. Take a step with us and pray. Just take a deep breath, and right now, just join us in this prayer. I'm going to speak it out loud. You follow along, if you will. Our Father, we're so thankful today for the way in which you know every one of us by name. There's not one of us here you do not know. And we acknowledge that this world is a desperate and broken place, and all of us have suffered some loss, some difficulty at some point. But we also acknowledge there are some people, especially children, who are innocent bystanders to a very broken world where systems and circumstances have worked against them. That's hell's business. Make us, Lord, agents of heaven's business. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who came into this world to not only alter its course, but to inform us about how we can alter its course as well as we follow him. Thank you for the story of the Good Samaritan. Thank you for the work of Ben Sand and the Contingent. Thank you for your work that can be known in us and the work that we can do where we live. Open our eyes to see opportunity, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ben Sand, thanks again. All right, I'm just going to press this on you. Come back one more time, at least one more time. Talk to us, would you? I'll be here. All right. Jay Harvey, are you in? Yes, there's got to be more. I want more. And to our audience today, we hope that you'll be in with us too. You know, in the meantime, before we uh, are on air again, maybe you want to reach out and talk to us. You could give us a call. This is our toll-free number, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. Hey, we want to hear your voice. And if you don't want to call but want to go online, Jay, where would they look us up? They can find us at www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's it, CBH Christians Broadcasting. Hope that is who we are. Check us out online. You can read about the ministry or send us an email. And if you're accessing this conversation on social media, you could just put a message in the feed. We're watching that too. Or at the very last, just write me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. 
And oh, by the way, you want to learn more about Every Child Organ? That's www.everychildorgan.org. All right. Thanks for joining us today. For everyone at the Viewpoint Ministry team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned. <laughs>